You may be seated. It's so good to have you here today. And man, I'm going to tell you, wow, we're singing that, the bridge, that song, all, all the earth will shout and sing. I, I wasn't raised Pentecostal, but I was feeling Pentecostal on that right there. That's amazing, guys. I love what God's doing here. And as you turn your Bibles to Philemon, we're going to bring to an end a series that we've been in over the last four weeks or so called Bury the Hatchet. Now, I loved, man, wasn't it so cool to see the baptism, man? I, that just fires me up. And, oh, you guys weren't excited? Sorry, my bad. I didn't, I, I just thought, somebody be excited. We had a bad, some baptisms here, guys. This is what God's... This is what God's doing. He's, a, he's, he's moving here. And I, I, I love the chance to celebrate. Man, also, we, we have this really cool ministry that's, that's recently launched here. Uh, we, we have uh, these tents, prayer tents that we set up all over town at different times. And then every Tuesday, we have a tent to set up. And so it just literally is nothing. It's like, hey, we're here to pray. You, you need prayer? Stop by. And man, on Tuesday, we're having more and more people stop by. And it was really cool. Um, we, we had uh, a lady pulled up on a motorcycle. And she, she had like one of those baby carrier, carriers like in front of you, except it was, it was a dog, and, uh, which is awesome, man. And in fact, she, she had goggles for the dog and everything, which I thought was the best. But anyway, long story short, literally she had come um, to pray. There was, there was something going on with the dog, and I love the fact we can come to God with anything. And after, after praying for the crust that she had for her dog, that meant a lot, um, one of the guys just asked her, said, you know, uh, man, have you ever... Have you ever become a Christian? Have you ever repented of your sins? And, and she said, no. He said, would you like to? And she said, yes. And right there, he was able to lead this lady to the Lord. And man, I just celebrate that, guys. That's just one of many stories. God is at work. And I love the fact that God can even use a dog to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. Now, he's never going to bring a cat, but he does bring dog. He does use dogs, which is good. We've been in this series and um, been talking a lot about forgiveness, and I know that for uh, many of you, this has probably been maybe somewhat of a, of a difficult series. There's, there's, a, there's a word that's probably one of the most incredible words, maybe the, the last good word that hasn't been messed up, that hasn't been diluted, and uh, actually we use it in a song, and I'm going to start my message, I'm not a worship leader or anything like that, but... I need you to sing with me. We're going to start and end by singing this song about this word. Amazing grace, how sweet the... Isn't that great? That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now... song was written literally hundreds of years ago. It was written before the United States became a nation by a guy who was a former slave trader, a guy who had a shameful past. In fact, if you read the story of the guy that wrote the, the, the song, John Newton, he was deeply ashamed of his past. In fact, struggled with the fact that God could actually forgive him. In fact, for a big part of his life, even when he was a pastor, it was a cloud, it was a burden. And yet, 
even in the depths of, 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 of wrestling with the shame, the enemy that, man, some of you know that shame, that shame. He penned these words, amazing grace. Now, it's that, it's that adjective that kind of talks, because, you know, I guess maybe grace could be diluted if you use the adjective cheap grace. There's a difference between cheap grace and amazing grace. And today I want to talk a little bit about that as we bring this series to an end. Just to give you a little, you know, summary. Philemon is a guy that, he's a godly man. Uh, probably was a convert of the Apostle Paul when he began to preach through the area of Coloss, that, that part of Asia. Gave his life to the Lord and uh, man discipled. Uh, and he was a man that Paul trusted to lead the church. He hosted the church right there in their home. But he was wrong. He had a uh, he had he had a well. I call it, first, he was bond servant here. Other translations, slave. And and I, I talked about this in the very first message of the series. He would have been a slave, but but this this man Onesimus wronged him. He. He stole from him. We, we picked this up. He stole from him. He ran from him. Long story short, we don't know how, but on the run, he somehow ends up the same place where Paul is in prison. And so the Apostle Paul, who's been an important part and a, and, and a spiritual father, if you will, to Philemon, uh, is, is a person that God uses to help bring Onesimus back. And long story short, there's a gospel transformation. We don't know there's a lot of details of the story we don't know, other than we know that Onesimus was changed. And, and so the, the, here was the deal. There was, a, there was a problem, though. There was wrong that had happened. And, and so what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is, is this account. And so in Philemon, it's that little, little letter, just it's like a one-page probably, if your Bible's like mine, before Hebrews. Verse 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to this guy, Philemon, who who is a believer, you know, he's discipling him, all that. He said, he said, accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, and he's specifically here talking about forgiveness. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And, and he was, he's appealing to him for, for the love that he has for Christ. If you read the introduction there, you'll see he's known for the love he has for Christ, the love he has for others. He said, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now prisoner, also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, here's who Onesimus was. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. You know what I love? This has nothing to do with my message. I love the fact that the gospel can make a useless person useful. Isn't that awesome? It literally can transform a person. So he, he was useless. Now he's useful to you and to me. But catch verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness, he's, he's going to be talk, talking about forgiveness, that your goodness might not be by compulsion, because I mean, what good is it if we're compelled, if we're forced to forgive? Are we really forgiving if we're forced to forgive? I don't think so. But no, not by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Catch verse 16. I underline part of verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but I like this, here's where I underline, but more than, 
But more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even yourself. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. We've been talking about this whole account, looking at forgiveness through the eyes of, of Philemon as he would have received this. So, so what we've got to do is put ourselves in the story here. Onesimus has wronged him. And so Paul, even though he's been transformed, it's not like, hey, 2 Corinthians 5.17, behold, everything's new. The old has gone. He's like, no, you got some work to do. He said, I'm sending you back. So get this. This letter is delivered, at least he's part of the party, by Onesimus himself. He's going back. There's a, there, there's, there is something that has to be accounted for. But verse 16, there's something powerful there. Because the apostle Paul is, is saying, man, I'm, I'm calling you beyond forgiveness. We're going to talk about this today. I'm, I'm calling you uh, to something. I, I want you to embrace a new vision of Onesimus, something you did not see before. And he's making the basis on Philemon's love for Christ. From now on, don't just view him as a bondservant, but more than, more than a bondservant. So here's what I'm going to do. Today, I'm talking to two people. I'm talking to Philemon and Onesimus. Now, okay, like, it's not Philemon. Somebody here is Philemon. All right, so if, so if you have been sinned against, somebody has wronged you, to, you just got your name changed, like, no, my name's Amy. No, today it's Philemon, okay? You're Philemon. When I say Philemon, that's you, okay? So we have Philemon, but we also have somebody here that's Onesimus, all right? You're the one that screwed up. You're the one that sinned against somebody. You wronged somebody else. You're like, no, that's not me. It's like we're all fighting. No, we're not. But Onesimus is here, all right? If, if Onesimus is nowhere but on this platform, Onesimus is here, right? So, so I'm going to talk to Philemon and, and Onesimus this morning. Because both of us have to grasp two things. Number one, as children of God, and by the way, just so you know, I'm going to be speaking this within the context. I'm making the assumption that if you're Philemon, that you are a, a son or daughter of, of God. If you're Onesimus, you are a son or daughter of God. But just because we're son or daughter of God does not mean God's through working on us and working in us. We're going to talk about this word grace and, and how powerful this is. Because we have to grasp, first of all, that we are called to be recipients of grace. But I want us this morning to also grasp something that's really hard. He's also called us to be dispensers of grace. We're recipients of grace. We're dispensers of grace. And so for my big point, I, it's just something I just keep talking about because I've heard so many crazy stories over the last several weeks as we've been in this series. Man, and I just want to give God praise for how he has done the impossible in some of your circumstances. And I just want to say thank you for emailing me, for calling me, for sharing over in a meeting or sharing out, out in the corridor after service how God has been changing you and, and how he's been transforming you. And there's some really, really cool stories coming out of this. But listen to me. If there's one thing I know that's going to be my big point, it's, it's, it's this. It's, it's, you know, if there's one thing I know, it's this. God's not done. In fact, I've just started, like, if I send out a text, I'm just, I'm just sending that out, like, at the end of the text. I'm just, God's not done. 
He's not done. You're like, well, you don't know my circumstance. Yeah, you don't know my God. God's not done. It's not going to break this down because as Paul's talking to Philemon, as he's sending him this letter, there are three crucial elements to his big ask. Okay? Three crucial elements. Okay? Number one is he is calling him to forgiveness. He's calling him to forgiveness. And we, we've talked a lot about this. I'm not going to like re-preach the last three weeks, but, but how, here's how we've defined forgiveness. Forgiveness is a painful, desperate act of worship that, that is between us and the Lord where, first of all, we surrender this to God. Romans 12.1, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. And when we present our, our, our bodies a living sacrifice, we're told that this is our reasonable act of worship. And when we present ourselves a living sacrifice, it's not that we just present all of our potential or we give to him all of our sins or we give to him our obedience. We give to him also our hurts, our hang-ups, our, our baggage, all of that sort of thing. This is what it means to worship. Worship is not just singing some songs. It's living the songs. This is, this is what I'm talking about. Man, present yourselves a living sacrifice. And so many of times when, as we've talked, we confuse forgiveness. We think that forgiveness is merely between myself and another individual. Now, there is an impact on the other individual. You better believe it. But first and foremost, forgiveness is between Philemon, if you're Philemon, it's between Philemon and God. You've been wronged. You have a choice to make. Am I going to hold on to this? Is vengeance going to be mine, or am I going to let, let the Lord have this? Can I, literally, it comes down to this, can I trust God with this? And before we ever say the words, I forgive you, whether or not we ever say those words to another person, it is an act, a painful, desperate act of worship in which we, we surrender to God. Is it easy? No. <laughs> the emails and the conversations I've had, not easy at all. But I think a lot of times we think it's just between us and the other person. On the other hand, if you're Onesimus... You're here this morning, when you, think of re, when you think of making things right, making restitution, and we're going to talk more about this, we think that that's just between us and the other person. But can I tell you the repentance, again, happens first with God before it's with the other person. Now, will the fact that you have repented of the wrong impact the other person? Absolutely. But both of these, they're, they're vertical expressions of trust and surrender before they ever have anything to do with bringing the two together. I'm going to say something that I ticked a couple people off in the first service, so I might as well just, I want everybody to be equal opportunity. You can get ticked in the second service too. Many times, the person who's Onesimus, if you're here and you're Onesimus, you have repented and you know that God has forgiven you. You know that God has forgiven you, but at the same time, you realize that there is tension between you and the other person. Okay, that's legit. That's real. You feel that tension. You want to resolve that. And so many times here, what we do is we go back and, and, and we're like, I am so sorry. We make restitution. I, I am so sorry. I want to make this right. But then we follow up and we say, please, please, will you please forgive me? Can I tell you that it's not our right to ask and demand forgiveness? If you're Onesimus, you have to trust that the same God that led you to repentance is going to be the same one that leads Philemon to forgiveness. Trusting God with that is a powerful thing. So what we see is, is that forgiveness and repentance are both vertical. It's literally trusting God 
ultimately to, 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 uh, to change you and to take this burden on, the, on this end. And this allows us to move forward. But, but here's the deal. As, as we look at forgiveness, and I'm going to spend time there, we, this is what Paul's asking him to first and foremost, yes, but he doesn't merely ask him to forgive. The second crucial part of Paul's big ask is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, I'm going to just pause because you can feel a little tension when Philemon's like, yeah, I get the forgiveness part, trusting God with that. Maybe even God, because some of you have shared the stories, how you've had conversations over the last month with people that you, didn't, that you haven't had for years, and those conversations have started you on a path to healing. God's doing a work, and I'm so thankful for that. But many of us cannot even grasp the whole concept of reconciliation. In fact, it just doesn't seem right. So let let me just say this. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two totally different words. Forgiveness is ground zero. There cannot be be reconciliation without forgiveness. We're going to talk more about that. But, but, but... but when it, when, it comes to, when it comes to reconciliation, it comes from, the, it's a Latin root of this, re, which means, again, cons, uh, consulare, which literally means to make friendly again. Conciliation, uh, which, which also comes from this Latin root, means to stop the anger. And, and, and it's funny, we, we gotta, when we look at reconciliation and, and how this is used in the Old Testament, the, the word reconciliation in the Old Testament isn't used uh, quite as much, but the Hebrew word that if it, you know, you can look it up in Blue Letter Bible, it's kafar, it's, it's K-A-P-H-A-R if you want to do a word study. It's usually translated as atonement, which is an old English word, which means literally at one, at one minute. It's the united, uniting, something's been made right. And this is big one of the biggest festivals that, that the Israelites celebrated was the Day of Atonement. If you want more information, you want to read what the Bible says, Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23 breaks it down. But just what, what happens is one day a year, the people would come before the Lord, and, and there was the, the reason why this was so important, God wanted them to understand, just like he wants us to understand, that sin, first and foremost, is against him before it's against another person. They would come before the Lord, and even if they'd wronged someone else, the reality was they had wronged him. And it was on this day that, that they would be reconciled to God. This was a day of atonement. And, and I'm not going to get into all, everything that took, took place, but, 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 but just know this. There, there had to be a, a cleansing there, there was, a, the, the, there was the, the death of an animal if you, if you get into this, this there, 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 was a, there was a bringing to end of the wrath, and there was a choice to not remember the sin again. This was part of this, this day of atonement in which the sinner could actually be reconciled with God, the one that, 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 that the sinner had sinned against. Now, I want you to think about your situation. We, the, sin complicates our lives. I guarantee you, every person that's part of a family, there is sin that is impacted, even family relationships. 
Think of your siblings or your cousins or your aunts, your uncles, your, your parents, whatever. We all have baggage. Many, and it comes because it's a direct result of sin. Onesimus has sinned against Philemon. Philemon, man, has this resistance to forgive against Onesimus. There is a distance. There is a, there is a gulf. Let's be honest, man. You feel this perhaps in, in families or other relationships. There is, a, there is a distance. But the reality is we, we feel this distance with God as well. Because when God is asking us to something and, and we're resistant and we struggle with that, Many times God will allow us to feel this distance. And so what happens is we wrestle with this. We just, we add baggage. We add baggage to our relationship by our sins and our, our selfishness. We create hostility. We create division. We assign blame. We, we erect walls. We, we withhold love, respect, and trust, and we separate. We divorce, and you know the rest of the story. You guys have seen this play out just like I have. The reality is we have issues and all the time, we're trying to create this assumption that I've got my junk together. We live this life. I, got my, I look good, and everybody's like, oh, man, that's great. But at the same time, we know there's, there's something that exists. There's something that's not right. The relationship is broken. And pr- many times, if you're Philemon, maybe if you're Onesimus too, when you look at the broken relationship, you're like, that's irreparably, irreparably broken. But can I tell you? God's not done. Don't put a period where God put a comma. That's good. I just came to me right now. I like that right there. I like that. <laughs> Don't put a period where God put a comma. God's not done. In fact, did you know that Jesus, he was talking to his disciples, and they're, they're, they're wrestling with this whole thing that, man, if, if the rich can't be saved, who can't be saved? And he said, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And he gave them a promise that with God all things are possible and then he did something about it. Jesus Christ died so that we could be cleansed from our sins. Jesus died so that the wrath of God could be appeased. He died so that our sins could be chosen to be forgotten by God. And can I just say something? God does not have a faulty memory when it comes to our sins. He chooses to remember our sins against us no more. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the gracious God. That's why we talk about amazing grace. I don't deserve this. I'm Onesimus, you're Onesimus, and yet God does this. He died, here's how Paul put it in in Ephesians 2, 16. He died to break down the dividing wall of hostility, to make one out of two, to bring near those who are separated, to join us together, to build us together so that our lives, including every part of our lives, can be at one, at one month. They can be reconciled. This dividing wall of hostility, we read that, we don't even think about it. But did you know in the old, uh, the old temple in Jerusalem, it made a lot of sense to the people he's writing to. There literally was, there was a wall that separated a section. There was a public area that the Gentiles could be, but on the other side of the wall, Gentiles weren't allowed to go there. In fact, there was a sign, look it up, you, you, can, you can read about this. There was a sign that in essence, I'm going to summarize, said, you're taking your life in your own hands if you're a Gentile and you go on the other side of this wall. And they had the right. In fact, if you, if you read Jewish history, they would kill people that would go to this holy place that was for Jews only on the other side of the dividing wall. When he's talking about the dividing wall of hostility, he's using an analogy that they would grasp. 
And the reality is, for many of us, there is a dividing wall of hostility, and Jesus came not just to tear down the walls that exist between us and God. Can I tell you that his grace is good enough? It's not just vertical, it's horizontal. He died so that we could tear down walls of hostility that exist in families, that exist in churches, that exist in communities. This is the God that we serve. But here, here's what I want us to understand about reconciliation. We cheapen, it's, it's cheap grace if, if reconciliation is just like, let's not acknowledge the sin, let's cover things up, and let's, let's keep moving. That's not what reconciliation is all about. In fact, healing cannot come by sweeping something under the rug. That just cannot, you've got to admit the wrong. And so, so I want two things I want to make sure we understand before I move, move forward about reconciliation, okay? First, true, uh, reconciliation requires true repentance by the offender, Reconciliation requires true repentance by the offender. There cannot be full trust and intimacy if the offender, if Onesimus, hasn't gone back and hasn't owned his sin. And so let me just, I'm just going to give you a, a, few, a few things that mark this, and I'm going to go quick, and like, you're like, hey, I can't write all this down. That's okay. I'll, I'll email you if, you if you can't get it. True repentance, it, here's what true repentance includes. Genuine remorse, humility, and honesty. Can I tell you right now, the prideful cannot come to a place of repentance. It requires genuine remorse for the sin that's taken place, humility enough to humble, humble ourselves and admit that I'm anesimus, and honesty in which the, the offender accepts responsibility for the sin, in which the offender not only, not only does that, welcomes accountability from others, and this is big, in which the offender ceases from the sin. Listen to me. Reconciliation cannot happen when Onesimus keeps sinning. It's impossible. That's not, if you, if you skip over that, like, oh, yeah, we're going to try to be reconciled, and, you know, there doesn't have to be any admission. No, 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 no. True reconciliation will not happen. You will cheat, you are, that's cheap grace. Grace is costly, but it's amazing. But it requires this. It also requires a lack of defensiveness because, you know, a lot of times when we're Onesimus, it's hard admitting that I've screwed up. A lack of defensiveness doesn't mean that, you're just, that you just accept what everybody says about you because a lot of times when a person's been hurt, they'll even say things that aren't true, right? They, they, will, they will make it even bigger than what the hurt is. No, you, but you acknowledge the reality. It's like, no, you're exactly right. A lot of times, man, we... we when we're Onesimus, we can't get to a place of true repentance because we want to, to gaslight and make all kinds of excuses why, we're, why we did what we did. It's the only way it's going to happen. And ultimately, the offender must make things right. It's called restitution. Restitution is a, is a word we just don't use a lot. But there's a reason why in verse 12, Ones Paul said, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. There was unfinished business. And Paul loved Onesimus too much to cheapen his transfer, the transformation he experienced from the gospel and to say, yeah, you just, you know, you don't have to do anything. No, he needed to make this right. And Onesimus had to, man, that's a, that's a big step. When you walk, you know if Philemon wants to, as a Roman citizen, he has rights. You can be beat, you can be put in prison. There's a lot of things that could happen. And Onesimus went back. Reconciliation does not happen without true repentance, but also reconciliation does not happen without true forgiveness. 
And it's funny because many of the same words to describe this true forgiveness, you know, for instance, uh, you know, words such as uh, honesty and objectivity, because a lot of times we hesitate and some of us actually enjoy holding on and having something to hold over somebody's head. You know, I see this in marriages all the time. I'm going, this is in my notes. When I come down here, it's like, man, let's get real. Now, I see this in marriages all the time. When there's been wrong and you've been wronged, it's actually kind of like you have some ammo that you can hold on to so that at some other time, you can actually bring that up from the past. And so I don't care if you've said the words, I forgive you. If, you're just, if you keep bringing up, you're still holding on to something that you can bring up when you get in an argument as your justification for treating that person like they have no value. You are wrong. Even though you were originally wrong, you were wrong. And it's very, it's, oh man, I'm going to melt. Listen, <laughs> it is possible for the one who has been offended to actually cross the line and become an offender themselves. And let's just, let's just call it what it is. To forgive requires humility, just like it requires humility to repent. And, and, and humility, because you are, you're justified, if you want to use that, that terminology, to hold on to this. But no, humility is, is where you can actually pray to God on their behalf. Humility is, is when you can actually get to the place that, that, that you're, you're willing to, to see Okay, here are the areas where I've actually overstepped and where I've actually gone to a place of wronging them. Now, it also, l- listen, uh, that true forgiveness also, you got to have clarity. You need to have boundaries. You need to have all that guidelines for what reconciliation looks like. That's, that's super important. But, but you also need to, you also have to understand that we have an enemy that will do everything he can to keep this reconciliation from happening because bitterness is a foothold that Satan will get in the life of a believer that will turn into a stronghold. And Satan, no, he does not need to get you to, to denounce your faith in Jesus Christ to, to render you ineffective. All he has to do is immobilize you and get you focused on the past so you can't move forward into the future and the vision that God has for you. Hello, that's good right there. I didn't get an amen, but I like that. That's good. <laughs> now, but you know, it's interesting because I, I read this, and so, so the Philemon's written, Paul is, is asking Philemon to forgive, but more than that, he's calling him to reconcile. But here's the crazy thing. He's calling him to more than reconciliation. You're like, what is more than reconciliation? Making friendly again. What's more than that? No, no, listen. He's calling him to restoration. And this is is where, I'll be honest, I've preached on forgiveness and reconciliation in years past. For some reason, things clicked in my mind. I'm just a little slower than everybody else. I get that. But things clicked for me this week. I have sometimes put reconciliation and restoration uh, under the same heading as the same definition. There's a difference. Reconciliation is to make friendly again. there's There's a possibility of a relationship. Restoration is totally different. Restoration is having the relationship fully restored as if the wrong had never happened or as if it's going to be better than it's ever been before. And and this is what what he's saying when when he, he says to him, maybe this is why Onesimus was parted from you. And I'm sure Philemon did not like to read this in the moment. He's been wronged. But he said, he said, maybe so that you could have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but here you go. But more than, 
more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. And, and it, you, you hear this, I hear this, I read this, and I'm like, are you kidding me? More than? How in the world? You have no idea what happened. And I'm like, I get that. I don't understand the situation. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, restoration, the only way restoration is possible is through the amazing grace, and I would even say this, the miraculous grace of Jesus Christ. It is the only way it's possible. When I talk about restoration, restoration is a miracle. But I believe we serve a God who's able to do miracles. Do you? Do we serve a God who's able to do the impossible? Can we admit that God's not done? Restoration is possible, not in our flesh, not in our ability to forgive, not in their ability to, to, to repent. No, restoration is possible through Jesus Christ, but he's going to require a different vision of the person who has wronged you as well as a different vision of you yourself. It requires an, an interaction with God's amazing grace where we realize it's not just me receiving, it's me dispensing grace, and it requires, it has to require, and it has to be a God-given different vision of the future. But the miracle of restoration is possible through Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you the journey to restoration is painful, but the end is worth it. And to illustrate this, let me close by sharing a story that I hate. If I could, if there was a, well, there's a lot of periods in my life I'd like to have a chance for a mulligan, but this one in particular, it hurts me to even tell this story. When I was a senior in high school, I had a friend, we were Man, I, I, I've never had a friend like this. We were literally together all the time. If I wasn't at his house, he was in my house, the school, we did everything together, played ball together. We, literally, we were, we were best friends. And during my senior year, something took place that created an anger in me toward him. My thing was what, what, you know, what, what had taken place. I, I, I didn't go into, I didn't try to explore it. I didn't, I didn't try to, to reconcile or, or to see any other side. Literally, because of what had, been, what had taken place, I, I looked at the guy, and I, I remember. I said, bro, I said, our friendship's over. And I still remember we were standing in, 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 the, front of, uh, in the front of the school, it was, just inside the lobby area. And man, this is a big dude, six foot four, big guy. He literally was crying like a baby. He's like, Keith, you gotta listen to me. What you're saying is not true. You gotta give me a chance to tell my side of the story. And I said, bro, I said, I don't wanna hear, I said, honestly, I don't wanna hear another word from you. I said, as f just so you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's over, we're done. I don't ever wanna talk to you again. And, and, and guys, man, even sharing this, I like, I, I cringe inside. Because from that day forward, my senior year, I never talked to him. I literally did not say another word to him the rest of that year. I was anesthetic, guys. Because he, did, he didn't wrong me. I wronged him. And for the next, man, I went, I, I, I went to college, Indiana University, went there a couple years. We had no relationship. Moved to Cincinnati to go to college there. No relationship. At, at the end of my, my college there in Cincinnati, I, I, I literally 
got to a place where I met Jesus Christ for the first time, and he wasn't just a God of rules and a God that I had to please, but, but man, at the age of 23, God changed my life completely. But here's the thing. I didn't have a relationship with this person. Long story short, it was just, it wasn't, time had gone on, and, and I found out that all of my assumptions about this person, about my buddy, were totally wrong. And then there's just this weight and this guilt, this heaviness. Man, God began to deal my heart and said, you've got to make this right. And so from time to time, I'd be in town, and we'd bump into each other, and we'd have those awkward conversations, but things weren't right. Guys, it was just a few years ago. I'm a pastor. I got this junk that I'm dealing with. I'd gone back to officiate my daughter's, my daughter, my sister's wedding. And as I'm standing in the back before the wedding, I see this, my old buddy walk in. And God just, it wasn't a voice or anything. I just knew it was from God. Now's the time. You got to make this right. So I didn't, I didn't say anything to my sister. If she's watching, forgive me. I didn't think too much about the ceremony. I just went through the motions because I knew what had to happen. Reception, I was sitting, sitting at the table, and I, my buddy was over across the room by himself. Man, my heart was beating, and God said, now's the time you go make this right. I got up, walked over there, and I said, bro, I owe you an apology. And I just, I, before I could, I literally got into it. I am so sorry. Before I could even finish it, man, he reached out. Big old boy hugged me. He said, bro, you get, don't, you got to know, I forgave you a long time ago. He said, you, you, you got to know, man. He said, it's, it's, it's okay. And he made this statement. In fact, I, I wrote it down and I've, I've come back to this time and time again. It was so important to me. I wrote this down. He said, I've always thought of you as a brother. And he said, I will always consider you to be my best friend. No matter how many miles are between us, nothing has ever changed that in my mind. And dude, I'm the pastor. And this guy gave me this beautiful example of what, not just what forgiveness looks like, of what reconciliation couldn't look like, but as I thought about it this week, what restoration can look like. And you know, I go home, I go back to Indiana once or twice a year, and usually if I get with anybody, he's the guy that I get together and we sit down, and can I tell you something? Here's the crazy thing. It's like nothing ever happened. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, I was Onesimus, but I experienced what God's grace can do through a Philemon. And I know that in this room we've got Philemon, we've got Onesimus. Guys, I'm convinced that as we close this series on Bury the Hatchet, that what God has called us to is more than just forgiveness, than if you're Onesimus just repentance. I believe as hard as it is that, that God can even call us to reconciliation where we can become friendly 
again. But guys, because we serve a God who's able to do the impossible and because God's not done, church, I believe in the miracle of restoration that God can do the miracle where he can allow us to see someone and see the relationship as more than, even more than it was before. Not because of the depth of our forgiveness or repentance, but due to the immense, amazing, powerful grace of our Lord. And guys, that's why I come back. I think the most significant, important word that I can think of that has not been diluted in some way is this beautiful word, grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Here's the thing as we close. Where do we go? How do we apply this? Guys, let's be recipients of God's grace. But let's not stop there. Let's be dispensers of that grace. As Romans 12, 18 puts it, so far as it be with you, live peaceably with all. We can't change the other person. We can't change the situation. We can only do what we do before God, but we can trust God to do the miracle of reconciliation, to do the miracle of restoration. And so, Father, as we leave here today, may you so change our perspective and change our hearts. Dear God, change, change us, strip away, strip away anything that would keep us from experiencing uh, your grace. Dear God, I, the, the, the two things that will keep us from experiencing your grace are shame in which we only look at our, ourselves through the eyes of, of the enemy who tries to remind us of what we've done and who we are. Dear God, shame, shame will keep us from experiencing your grace, but God also pride will keep us from experiencing your grace. I'm praying that we would be humble and honest and, and experience your grace, accept your grace, but Father, not stop there, be a dispenser of your grace. And so, God, may we bury the hatchet, may we forgive, reconcile, be restored, not because we're that good, but because your grace is that big. And so, Father, for what you're going to continue to do in, in doing miracles in our congregation, I want to thank you for this. And I pray this with great anticipation, believing the best is yet to come. In the name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said... Amen. Hey, thanks for being here. Can't wait to see what God has in store. Share your stories. It's going to be good. Go out. Hey, go. Go get your crock pot because I do not want Becky getting a crock pot as a present. So go check out the Lost of Fan. You're dismissed. Have a great week.